I've heard worse languages, but not many. I was listening to a Swedish movie producer or writer or something. I was only half listening on the BBC about one night ago. And he makes uh, movies about whatever he feels like making movies about. Um, And um, he has made a movie, he said. I was only half listening. I only ever half listen to the BBC at night because I have that sort of going quietly in my ears as I sleep. But, you know, sometimes I wake up and I'm just listening to something. Um, And he made a movie about the ideal, an ideal progressive man, which is interesting. Well, it was interesting enough for me to keep listening for a minute. And, um, and he was chatting about that. And, uh, he was very witty, by the way. I wish I was witty. That would be fun. And, um, he said, uh, he had an actor come in and play the part. And the actor who played the part uh, saw the, the uh, character as a hero, you know, while he was playing it. He loved the character, this director said, you know. And, uh, but then the actor, when he saw the movie, the finished product, watched the movie afterwards, said, there's something about that guy I don't like. <laughs> Anyway, so, um, and then the director said, um, look, it's this guy that was just trying to be perfect in every way. And it reminds me of something I heard from someone once who said sometimes, uh, you know, like the perfect person isn't the perfect person. Um, You have to be imperfect to be perfect, something like that, you know. It was in relation to being a dad, actually. And um, it was... uh, the perfect dad isn't the perfect dad. You know, you need to be imperfect. I said, oh, bingo, you know, because <laughs> I'm far from perfect. So I said, oh, I must be perfect. This is great. You know, this is... Uh, so, um, anyway, uh, and the director said, uh, people were coming up to him afterwards and says, what were you trying to say in making that movie, you know, in coming up with that character? What were you trying to say? What's your point, you know? What point are you pushing? And he said, I was just saying to them, no point. And he said, I, you know, all I can do is assure you, I just thought of the idea of a progressive man who uh, lives his life in a perfectly progressive way. You know, he's, he's into everything, you know, that's um, good. You know, he's a good man. Um, so I just presume he's, you know, perfectly anti-racist and but in a gentle way, and or maybe in a protesting way, for all I know. I haven't seen the movie. I'm never going to. It's in Swedish, apparently. Um, yeah, but he's into, into everything, you know, so I'm sure he's into everything. Climate change and, you know, 
look all that stuff you know lgbt and all that sort of stuff okay anyway i'm not sure which way you know you can read the movie um as you watch it um there might be some people who say yep that guy i love that guy um and there'd be other people who watch the movie who'd say i hate that guy you know um and there might be other people like that actor who's actually a progressive who was actually a progressive uh, you know like uh, um in real life who even though he was a progressive watched that character and said he's just annoying in some ways there's something vaguely um off-putting about this guy um if we were all like this it'd be one hell of a nuts world you know something like that okay anyway the director was saying uh that people were saying to him what were you trying to say in making that movie? What were you trying to get across? You know, what point were you making? What was your political point? What was your social point, you know, and all this sort of stuff, you know? And he said, I actually didn't have one. And he said, uh, and he said that he said, I don't actually have one. Um, I actually just thought of the character and just ran with it, you know, where, and let it go where he, let that character go where he might. You know, so he said, I made it up as I went along and just tried to guess what this guy would do next. You know, little old lady wanted to cross the road. He helped him across the He, he helped the little old lady across the road, you know. Um, you know, um, there was a climate change protest in Sweden. I think it was Sweden that he was in. Maybe it was Denmark. I wasn't listening very closely. And, um, you know, maybe Greta Thunberg was standing outside um, the Swedish parliament with her little placard. And maybe he joined her, you know, and had a placard himself and put his arm around her and said, doing a good job, you know. Why don't you go to the UN? Um, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a sailboat so that you don't have to, um, you know, so that you don't have to use any fuel, fossil fuels. And she said, thank you very much, you know. Maybe he was that guy that gave her the sailing boat, you know. Anyway, he was the perfect progressive. And, uh, but the bit that I didn't care about any of that, the bit that I was interested in was the fact that people were asking this Swedish movie producer and writer, perhaps, uh, what were you trying to say? And he said, I wasn't trying to say anything. You know? And uh, to a very large extent, that's the way I think. Uh, as I'm making these podcasts, I just think of things and um, and let them go where they want and I'm not actually trying to sort of push any point. This is one of those rare moments in a, in a series of episodes called Physics during which I speak about physics. Um, That was illogical, by the way. A moment takes no time. So you can't speak about physics during a moment. (laughs) Uh, That sort of stuff is really interesting to me, though, actually. We often, I think, um, imagine uh, that uh, something that doesn't exist exists like the idea of now you know now yeah i'm going to do it 
I am in my car now. <laughs> well, I'm not. <laughs> I'm in my wife's car. All right. Uh, I'm in her car now. But I can't even visualise now, because now is a is such a brief period of time that it's that it's a period of time that is zero seconds long. Um, because uh, even <laughs> it hurts my head even thinking about it. Even a uh, a puffteenth of a second later. I, I just couldn't think of a better word. Yeah, that's from Rex. That's a Rexism. Um, even a puffteenth of a second after now, you know, let's say that is just such a small amount of time, such as I can't even imagine. Um, that's in the future. And so is a puffteenth of a second ago. That's in the past. Uh, Now, look, puffteenth, now let me think, that's probably not very politically correct, but in a physics classroom, I I haven't got time for worrying about that. Uh, We're not here to be good, you know, not here to be kind. We're not here to, you know, refrain from upsetting you. You know, if, if, if through your tears, uh, just learn the physics. You know, we're not we're not here on some humanitarian mission. That's a different classroom. This is physics, and I know that sounds terrible, but um, technically speaking, um, um. Physics doesn't care, technically speaking. You know, if you were going to get really zen about it and um, commit yourself to the idea of uh, focusing only on physics, you might come up with physics examples, you know, examples of physics, the problems that you might want to do, that are horrendous on a humanitarian level, you know. And I'm thinking of a horrendous example right now, you know. Um, which I'm not going to even say because I am slightly a good person. Aha, uh-huh. uh, now that I've had an example from the Nazis uh, jump into my head, uh, yeah, because an example from the Nazis is what did just jump into my head, I just thought of another one, and it's from that novel that I spoke about many, many episodes ago uh, called Beagles Takes a Holiday. And in that novel, uh, there was a character, a Nazi, called Paul von Stitzen. You know, uh, or Paul Stitzen. I can't remember whether he was a von or not. But let's call him Von Stitzen. Okay, so there was a Paul Von Stitzen, and after World War Two, he was uh, hiding away in uh, the jungles of South America, you know, to avoid the Nuremberg trials, no doubt, <laughs> or a bullet. 
as the Russians came into Berlin. You know, he was off in somewhere in between Argentina and Paraguay and Uruguay and somewhere in there in the jungle uh, with some of his Nazi mates. Now, his Nazi mates were uh, planning a revolution in, you know, know, from South America, you know, and destabilised South America and all that sort of stuff, you know, one of those cartoonish sort of plots that Captain W.E. Johns always liked to get into. Uh, But, you know, some of these cartoonish plots... Yeah, have got a basis in reality. But anyway, um, Paul von Stitzen, he had some Nazi mates in the jungle, all escaped from Germany after the, world, after the war, World War II, and they were all busy plotting the overthrow of, you know, anything that looked like a democratic government in that great socialist world <laughs> that is um, South America. And, um, and you know, there's a fine line between fascism and socialism, isn't there? Uh, but um, Paul von Stitzen himself, as far as I could, as, uh, as, I, as, far as I could um, ascertain, didn't care all that much about all that stuff. You know, look, maybe he did. Maybe he was kind of a German, you know, fatherland nationalist, you know, Aryan and all that sort of stuff, you know. And um, with a bag of Agita in his pocket, you know, the whole thing. Um and um but Paul Van Stitzen, you know, by and large, only cared about something he was inventing. Um and that which he was inventing at the time was a, a V three rocket. A V three rocket. The, you know, the next the next one along. Because during the World War Two, the Germans had the V one rocket. Uh, I think it was called the V one, you know, which they sent flying across to London. Uh, You can Google a photo, I think it's a real photo, of a Spitfire and a V1 rocket in the same shot. I think it's a V1, might be a V2, I can't remember. Um, And uh, I reckon that's a great photo, if it's real, you know. Um, It's very hazy, Um, and apparently it's real, but, you know, I don't trust anything I see on the internet. Anyway, so during the war, the... um, uh, it was a V1, yeah, it had that little sort of wing arrangement. Um, the Germans invented the V1 rocket and um, then they had a V2 rocket, which looked much more like a rocket you might take to the moon, you know, to my eyes. It was that more classic, you know, rocket look, you know, a big pencil thing. Um, and uh, the Germans were dropping the V1, you know, were sending the V1s across to London, you know, Merry Christmas, you know, and all that. Um, and I think, you know, the war finished before they got to use the V2 in anger. Now, in this book, um, you know, the war is over and Paul Stitson, Paul von Stitson, is working on a V3 rocket, a V3. <clears throat> and, you know, no doubt that's going to cause untold damage. Now, um... Biggles interrupts. Excuse me for a second. <coughs> Biggles you know, disrupts the entire show and brings it, brings it all crashing down, of course, you know, because it's English. You know. Germans can't win. Yeah. Uh, but the interesting thing is, I think um, 
von Stitzen, um, the thing he really only cared about, he was a good physicist. Yeah. Well, his only focus, as far as I could tell from the book, was on this V3 rocket. And as Biggles came in to disrupt what was going on in the jungle there, um, these Nazis plotting, you know, to overthrow uh, the governments of South America and then take South America and then, you know, take America and then back to Europe and take on the world again, um, the fatherland restored and all that sort of thing. Um, I think the main thing that Paul von Stitzen, as a good physicist, but a bad person, but still a good physicist, he, I would have given him 10 out of 10 in my, in my physics class and I would have had to ethically. He was brilliant. Um, would you give him top marks if you had him in your physics class or would you kick him out of your physics class this von Stitzen, just take it from me, he was a genius, um, a physics genius and an engineering genius. Um, you've got him in your class, you're a teacher, you know. Um, would you stand up and call him your best student? Or because he's a Nazi, you know, or even a neo-Nazi in the modern age, would you kick him out? Yeah. Now, if I was a really uh, dedicated physics teacher and, um, and I had very, very good focus, you know, and that was my only focus whilst I, whilst I was in that physics classroom as a teacher, when I walked in there, I said, listen, all we care about today is physics, all right? I would actually say you are, I'd point to him and say you are my best student, Yeah. I think I would have to. Um, and then, you know, I'd say class dismissed and um, and we'd walk out and say, geez, Paul, you are my best student I've ever had. You're a genius. Well done. And I'd put my arm around him saying, good on you. And then I'd say, come on, let's walk outside. You know? And then we'd walk outside and he'd be smiling. And then I, as soon as we got out of the classroom... I'd grab the back of his head, you know, and I'd push it down towards my knee and then I'd knee him in the face as hard as I could. Yeah, because he's a Nazi. I don't like Nazis. And I'd say that to him, I don't like Nazis, you know. <laughs> now, uh, oh, all right, I wouldn't do that because that would make me as bad as a Nazi, wouldn't it? You know, you shouldn't kill Nazis. You know, you should just... Put them on trial in Nuremberg and, and give them a fair trial, you know, which is what we did with all those Nazis. But still, Paul von Stitzen, um, you know, good physicist in that book. Got no problem with his physics. Uh, so there, there you go. There's my example. I, I don't even know if that example relates to what I was saying. What was I saying? Um, oh, it was the concept of now. Yes, that's right. So sometimes in physics, uh, we we um, we try and talk about things as if they exist when they don't. And you know, as far as I can tell, nothing exists in the moment because in the moment, 
is a period of time that is naught seconds long and nothing can exist for a period of naught seconds. That just doesn't make sense. I can't even think it through, you know. So nothing exists now. Um, it, it's going to exist in the future by the look of it, by the look of it, you know, and it's, it did exist in the past. So things do appear to have existed in the past and things do look like they're going to exist in the future. But I really can't say if anything exists right now because right now doesn't exist. It's a period of naught seconds. Hmm. Now, if all of time is a series of moments that are all now, oh, you see, I've lost this train of thought. I'll have to leave, I honestly have to leave you uh, with that thought because as far as I can tell, nothing can ever exist at all and that just doesn't make sense um, because nothing can exist in the moment. As far as I can tell, things can only exist in the future and in the past but they can't exist now. Nothing exists right now in the moment. So existence can only make sense. Things can only exist in the future or in the past, can they not? But they can't exist now. Can I just drop this? Because it's hurting my head. Um, okay. And can from now on, if I say the word now, can I mean, um, depends on when I'm saying it, but um, when I'm saying now, I will define that to mean within point, within 10 to the minus 9 seconds of now. All right? So here's a rule in my classroom, just because just cause my head hurts, no other reason. I don't think now exists. Um, so from now on in my physics classroom, um, when I say the word now, I actually mean a period of time that is between uh, the, the, the time that is 10 to the minus 9 seconds in the past and 10 to the minus 9 seconds in the future. Okay, that little period of time, it's a very small amount of time, so I can work with that. That should cover just about anything, even subatomic sort of... Um, movements, you know, uh, uh, subatomic particle sort of activity. I should, be able to, I should be able to talk about just about anything in the universe if I define now as actually a finite amount of time, you know, a very short amount of time, 10 to the minus 9 seconds into the past from then until 10 to the minus 9 seconds into the future. And by 10 to the minus 9, I mean... Point zero 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 one seconds in the past and that same amount of time in the future, okay? Now, but if I say to my wife, I am going to do the dishes now, I mean within the next few days. All right, there you go. We have a de definition of now that we can use, okay? Now, when I am... All right, now there's a cricket ball I mentioned at some stage. I can't remember when. 
that is flying through the air because I threw it, a cricket ball, and I think it was in a previous episode, uh, I threw a cricket ball from the boundary line to the stumps and it's in midair and right now, yeah, uh, not right now but in a very small amount of time, um, I am going to... Uh, I am going to um, imagine forces acting on that cricket ball. All right, this is the example of think about right now. All the forces acting on that cricket ball right now, okay? Look, to a certain extent, I'm pretty sure, but my head hurts, so I can't think about it. I'm sure those forces are acting in the instant, you know, in uh, for a period of naught seconds. I think you can say that, but it hurts my head to even think about it, so I'm not going to. Um, so when you take a photo of that cricket ball, you are, I think, um, I think it's just easier for us to human, us humans to say that that photo is depicting that cricket ball in a moment of time of naught seconds, because it's a photo, it's just sitting there. We're looking, you know, casually, we can stare at that photo for as long as we want, Um, But we're looking at that photo. In that photo, the uh, cricket ball exists in a certain moment in that photo. I think we can say that much. Okay. Yeah. Um, But, um, and in that moment, I can get my texter out right now. And, aha, that cricket ball can exist in the moment in a photo. Okay, so I've got, a, I've got a photo, I've printed it, I've put it on the table, and now I'm going to start drawing force vectors on it. You know, this is called a force diagram that I'm creating right now with this cricket ball, this photo of a cricket ball. This is a force diagram that I'm about to draw, and I am going to draw an arrow pointing downwards, you know, with the sort of arse end of the arrow sitting on the cricket ball, and the arrow head pointing downwards, you know. Okay, sorry for the vulgarity there, but yeah. Um, and um, I'm going to draw a um, another force vector. Yeah, that was a force vector, the force of gravity down. Now I'm going to draw another force vector. I'm drawing a force diagram here. Have I mentioned the word force diagram, the phrase force diagram before? I think I have. Okay, so this is a force diagram. There are forces acting on that cricket ball. Now, there is another force as it flies through the air acting out its back door, coming out of the back door. So, or I'll use the vulgarity again. The arse end of, oh, sorry, the feathered end of the arrow is sitting on the back door of the cricket ball. Just imagine it's got a back door. Okay. And um, this is the force of air resistance I'm about to talk about. And the arrowhead is pointing, you know, backwards and down a bit. I've just thrown it and it's sort of, it's, it, it, it's on a trajectory moving up, you know. It's going to move down soon and hit the stumps, but right now it's just moving up a little bit. And uh, so there's a, an, a force of air resistance sort of going backwards and down a little bit. Uh, and that is represented on my photo with an arrow pointing out the back door of the cricket ball. Okay, so we've got one directly down, 
uh, one force vector directly down due to gravity, one force directly backwards but down a little bit, and that is the force of air resistance. That'll be a lot shorter. That'll be a lot smaller than the one acting down. Have we got any others? And um, I think in a previous example when I was talking about this cricket ball, there's a little bit of wind from right to left. So there's a tiny little vector moving to the left. Uh, with its with the feathered end of the arrow, which is a vector. We call it a vector. We don't call it an arrow. We've got a fancier word for that in physics, vector. So there's a vector um, with the feathered end of the vector, but we don't draw a feather. We just just a stick. Um, all right, the arse end of the vector uh, sits on the cricket ball, and the arrowhead is pointing to the left. Uh, so I've I've sort of had to draw a three dimensional. Um, I can do that. I'm really clever. Yeah, a three. I'm a good drawer. I can draw a three dimensional force diagram. Okay. That'll do for now. Just imagine that force diagram. I don't know how we got to this force diagram from what I, whatever I was talking about before, you know, the concept of now, but I've managed to find something that exists now, you know, and I accidentally did that uh, because what I did, I took a photo of a cricket ball mid-air, mid-flight, and um, I looked at that photo and I said, that photo, that... That cricket ball there in that photo is existing in the moment and I can see it in the moment. It does exist in the moment. Oh, wow. I bet your philosophers um, argue this out, whether something can actually exist in the moment. Aha, I just outdid them all. It can in a photo. <laughs> Good on me. Uh, you're probably a very smart philosopher and you can find a hole in uh, my logic there. Yeah, but I, well, there's two things going on there as far as I'm concerned. I can't see a hole in my logic, uh, but more importantly, I don't want to. Can't be bothered, don't care. Okay, that'll do for this little moment in this. Let's move on afterwards. I've got to do something. I've just come out for a walk. So what? <laughs> oh, and a talk. Aha, that's relevant. Uh, I've actually been uh, sitting in the Dickie Reynolds stand for the last half an hour watching the under-19 Essendon cricket team. It looks like the under-19s, I'm not sure which grade they are. Uh, Warm-up for a day's play. Uh, and uh, interesting to note, uh, a lot of um, subcontinent players down there I've, I've walked out now i'm walking around windy hill now um yeah quite a lot you know i saw names like uh, Pereira and jans you know because they have their names on their backs it's a one-day match it's not they're not in their whites um yeah, so you know keep an eye out for that in five years in test cricket to see whether we've got a few more subcontinental players uh, yeah. Um, now, um, so a talk. Where was I up to? I was talking about a cricket ball, so that's relevant. Uh, I should walk back in there so you can get some sound effects uh, of, you know, ball on willow. 
uh, but I've left there now. Um, so I was talking about a cricket ball mid-air. I could have sat in the Dickie Reynolds stand for longer and, uh, and watched cricket balls suspended in the air in moments of time, <laughs> which is something that I started off arguing was impossible in the previous segments. Yeah, but then I changed my mind and I said, oh, wait a minute, I can take a photo of that cricket ball in the air. And the photo is depicting, is it not? I'm not sure. I'm actually not sure. A, um, a cricket ball in a moment of time. I really think it is. It takes, you know, it takes me time to look at it. But um, it does seem to be suspended in air in a moment in time in a photo. So that brought back into existence the idea of something being able to exist now you know, for me or at any point in time. You know, for a while there I was thinking nothing can exist at any specific point in time. Nothing can exist at 11 o'clock this morning. Oh, wait a minute. What time is it now? 11.41. Um, I didn't exist at 11.41... Uh, at 11 o'clock this morning, about 41 minutes... Roughly 41 minutes ago. Not at that point in time, I didn't. Yeah, I seemed to, you know, uh, before 11 o'clock, and I seemed to afterwards... This is where my head started hurting... You know, but um, look, at 11.42, which is coming up, or 11.43, which is coming up, um, as I, uh, as, as this idea of 11.43 ticks over, I will have this sense that I existed before then, and I will have this sense that I am about to exist after then, but I, I won't be able to know whether I existed at that moment in time. You probably think, this, what, what are you even talking about here? You know, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, the answer to that is, I have no idea. You know, I don't pre-plan these episodes. And if you think this is a load of rubbish, then, well, you're probably not the sort of person who's ever going to invent an iPhone. Uh, because the sorts of people who invented most of the things that you probably enjoy uh, today did get into this sort of thinking. You know, otherwise, you wouldn't have those things. So what again, you might say? And I agree. Uh, you know, you might say, I've already got my iPhone, so I don't care. I'm listening to your podcast on that right now. And you say, so I don't care about all that stuff. You know, you're, why are you waffling on about this stuff? And I said, well, maybe something else is going to get invented Another day, uh, like a cure for climate change. Ooh, you said, that's nice. All right, listen up then, you know, (laughs) I'll keep talking. But whoever it is that's going to come up with the next great thing, the next big thing, it's not going to be me. I am willing, as you've noticed, to get into this sort of thinking and to sort of get into physics. Um, So I'm willing you know, to engage in physics. But I don't have much talent for it. I don't have any genius for it. You know, I'm a hack. You know, that doesn't bother me. Because uh, the fact that I'm willing to get into it means I'm a, a miles ahead of 98% of the world's population. 
you know, the fact that I even know uh, something like work equals forced times distance, um, or even what a vector is in the world of physics, or even what a scalar is, this is all basic stuff, you know what I mean? Basic stuff. Um, the fact that I even know what these things are in the world of physics puts me ahead of, what, 90% of the world? You know, and I, I, I'm not even smart. I don't even have many brains, you know. But I've pushed myself to the top of the tree, just about, you know. I can never go into the top 5%. And I know this for a fact. You know, I'm one of those people who know this for a fact. Uh, because I gave it a shot. You're in better shape than me. Uh, because, you know, if you've never tried physics, you know, at university level and all that sort of thing. Look, I got my... I did. This is not about me, this podcast, and I'm not here to blow trumpets. But look, I got a physics degree at one occasion, on one occasion. Uh, but as a hack... I'm not being self-deprecating, it's true. Um, You are able to hug to yourself the idea that you, if you had tried, could have been a genius physicist. You know, if you had really put an effort into it, if you had gone and done a degree, you could be a great proficient, to quote uh, Jane Austen, uh, Lady Catherine de Bourgh in um, Pride and Prejudice. If only you'd practised, you could have been a great proficient. And you can say that about just about anything. You know, you can say to yourself, hug yourself with the idea that um, in just about any field that you haven't tried, you could have been great. Well, in the fields that I have tried, and this is why you shouldn't try anything in this life, I haven't proven great at all in any of them. Nowhere near it, you know. I tried music, wasn't great at it, you know. And I'm talking, gave it a real crack, you know. Tried physics and related things. You know, I'm even a software developer now and I'm not a very good one of those either. You know, I'm a hack. I make cash. You know, that's the most important bit. Um, besides the cash, I'm not great. I'm not Bill Gates. Now, um... And what else have I tried? You know, I've tried other things. Football and cricket. You know, cricket. I was, cricket I was terrible at. Um, I have proved to myself that I am average. Uh, but I'm comfortable with that because uh, the thing that matters most to me, I still hug closely to me. And that is the sound of my own voice. You know, I do like that. Oh dear. Uh, right, so where am I? I've gone right round Windy Hill now and uh, the boys look like they are about to get started on play. Uh, so I'll finish my walk. Who cares? And my talk. Ah, relevant. And, uh, and uh, okay, so what shall I talk? Well, I was talking about cricket balls suspended in midair. Okay, I liked that one. The idea of now came back into existence for me. Thank goodness for the photograph. Is that the magic of photography? Uh, the magic of photography? Um, where, um, where photos do capture a moment in time 
in such a way as we can't really experience that in real life. We can't experience a moment in time. Uh, I feel that. But photos capture something magic, something magic, I think. And the magic thing that the photographs uh, capture is reality in a moment in time. Is there any validity to that? You know, I, th- I, think, I think we kind of sense that there's something magical about a photograph in that sense. Um, I really do. You know? I don't want to go too deeply into it, mainly because I don't have the brains. Um, and there's something magical about a sculpture or a painting for the same reason. It captures a thing in a moment in time. Um, and a... a, a um, a a painting or a sculpture seems to capture even more than something, a likeness of something um, in the same way that a photo does, but a person's impression of the likeness of something. You know, art comes into play then. Uh, But I've got to stop myself now because this is an episode, this is a um, a mini-series on physics and not art. I don't want to start talking about art because everyone knows what happens when you start talking about art. You, um, you disappear up your own art's hole. <laughs> uh, I can do that even in physics. Right, now, so the concept of now, the idea of now, I think, exists in a photograph. Now, uh, as I was chatting just before, and even before I started chatting just now, um, I, I started to feel that I think that the idea of me existing at 11.43... Oh, sorry, what time is it now? Oh, it's 11.49 now. All right, the idea of me existing at 11.51... Um, I, I kind of feel that I can't pinpoint myself existing at 11.51... I won't be able to pinpoint that because if I say now at 11.51, I exist now. Even uh, it it actually took a very finite time for me to say the word now. You know, I can't actually pinpoint the now unless I take a photo of myself. Aha, a selfie. You know, that's another major invention. People love those. All right. But even if if I took a photo of myself at what I think or thought was 11.51, I, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't know that it was at 11.51 exactly. I can't actually say what time that photo, exactly, that photo took a photo of me. Um, yeah, it might have been 11.51 and um, 0.0001 milliseconds or microseconds or nanoseconds after 11.51. All I can know, looking at a photo of myself, ooh, I love looking at a photo of myself, a selfie, you know. Uh, you know I've, got, I've accentuated my cheekbones, and I've made my eyes go wide. Um, and that's, that's the real me, you know. At 11.51, I exist, because there's the photo. Um, and that is me, and I'll leave that to my... I'll leave that to my grandchildren as the only record of me, all my selfies. Um, and they'll, um, and my grandchildren will say, huh, my grandfather was gormless, 
wasn't he? He had this sort of stupid look on his face all his life. <laughs> oh, my grandchild doesn't know that I deleted all the photos in which I looked intelligent um, and went for the gormless one with the big eyes and the accentuated cheekbones and I'm kissing the kissing the uh, kissing midair. <laughs> anyway, um, oh dear, I am off track. Uh, so what was I talking about? Oh yeah, um, at 11.51, look, that photo, I know it does exist, I think I know, that it does exist in a moment in time, but I don't know exactly what moment in time, but I, it is a moment in time, I just can't, I can't state what moment of time that is. Whatever moment of time that is, if I press the, oh there goes, sorry, uh, helicopter, that's, uh, we live near Essendon Airport, uh, that's the um, that's the uh, the ambulance helicopter. Um, let's say, uh, look, I can say something about when that moment in time is, and I think I can say that moment in time exists, even if I can't pinpoint it. Um, even if I don't take a selfie of myself, I think I can sort of deem or imagine or believe that that moment of time did exist. I like this concept of, you know, whether things exist at a given point in time or not. Um, I think I can say that it exists even if I don't take a selfie, you know, and I'm just um, letting my mind run free. Stream of consciousness here. Uh, because I could take the photo uh, ju- just... Um, I could go click-click, you know, and... Yeah, you can do that. You can hold the button down on your phone, actually, and get it go, and it goes, you know, it takes about 50 photos. Um, And I can hold the button down as 11.51 ticks over, you know. And then to the limit of the accuracy, and this is physics, actually. This is the sort of thing physicists do. um, To the limit of accuracy of the, uh, what sort of clock have I got on my phone is it, is it a clock uh, connected to that cesium sort of chronometer in France? Yeah. That, um, that tracks international time. I'm not sure, but it's pretty damned accurate, but it's not perfect. Um, uh, so, um, I can find the two photos that were either side of 11.51. I could find those two photos, you know, which you know, and they come like a machine gun. Uh, those those photos when you hold your the button down on your photo on your uh, phone, um, you know, just get like that, you know, really fast. So I can find the two photos of myself um, either side of eleven fifty one. You know, to the accuracy of the clock on my phone, which is pretty bloody accurate as far as I know, um, and and in the metadata, you know, does the metadata on the photos hold the dates and times of photos to that accuracy? Look, it could be set up. It could be set up, I'm sure, you know, by uh, Bill Gates, uh, who did he make my phone? No, he didn't. The other guy did. 
Uh, Apple, Apple, Apple. Um, what's his name? Look, it doesn't matter. Um, Apple. Um, anyway, I'm, 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 I'm too distracted by what I'm talking about to think of names. Now, um, so, um, and, and I can say, listen, I know I existed just before 11.51, and I know I existed just after 11.51, so I am going to say it's reasonable to assume that I existed at 11.51 precisely. Even though uh, I have no photographic evidence of that moment, I only have a photo of me on either side of that moment in time, but given that I clearly, due to photographic existence, um, existed either side of 11.51, um, and just either side of 11.51, uh, you know, a nanosecond before and a nanosecond afterwards, or a microsecond before and a microsecond after, I am going to say that it's reasonable for me to assume that I did exist at 11.51 precisely. Precisely. Okay. Uh, you know, now that's not quite the real deal. That's not quite the same as saying I did exist at 11.51. That I can't prove, as far as I can tell. Go and listen to a philosophy podcast to see whether, you know, this is uh, pretty remedial philosophy I'm doing here. Uh, but I think that'll be, the, you know, be something like that. You know. uh, so, for all intents and purposes, it becomes a very important phrase. For all intents and purposes... I'm going to say we can exist in a given moment in time, if you stipulate that moment in time, even though it's impossible to get a photo of yourself at a precise moment in time. Okay, so that's two angles at which I've approached the idea of the idea of a moment in time, you know, a point in time. Number one, um, you can have a photo of yourself in a moment in time, but you can't stipulate what moment in time that is. Um, and you can also nominate a, a certain point in time, say 1151. You know, and you know you won't be able to get a photo of yourself exactly at that moment in time, but you can know, I think, and you know, small k no, small k no, not big k no. You can small k no that you, um, for all intents and purposes, and beyond reasonable doubt, existed at that point in time specifically, the, 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 that point in time, in time that you nominated, okay? So, look, all of that uh, allows me to say, uh, to start drawing force diagrams. Um, because force diagrams seem to yeah they do they need to be drawn at a point in time there are many things um in physics that we look at or measure at points in time so we need to bring points in time into existence and we need to make sure that things do exist in points in time in order to start drawing for example force diagrams you know, a cricket ball suspended in midair with arrows sticking out of it, making it look like a porcupine. 
Yeah. Um, a cricket ball suspended in midair via a photo I took of it, and um, a vector, an arrow, pointing out of the bottom of it, uh, and that arrow depicting the force of gravity on that cricket ball, an arrow pointing out its back door, and that arrow um, depicting uh, the force of air resistance on that ball, and a tiny little arrow, a vector, a tiny little vector pointing out of that cricket ball from right to left, um, out the side door of that cricket ball, uh, depicting a tiny little bit of wind that happens to exist here at Windy Hill and in Essendon generally. And I can probably prove that because you could probably hear it as I walk that bit of wind going past my phone. Hey, just quietly, uh, that, um, remember I, um, remember when I accused you, dear listener, Charlie, your name is Charlie, because I speak to myself, uh, of having a massively incredible, humongous, uh, supercomputer for a brain, uh, the cricketers, I was, I was just watching warm up. As we do when we play cricket, I was a crap cricketer. I really was. That was my worst sport. Um, the, the smaller the ball got, the worse I got. The bigger the ball I got, the better I got in sport generally. You know, so basketball was really my best sport at school because, you know, it had a big ball. Uh, football, clearly, was sort of my second best uh, sport because you know it was still a big ball but it was slightly smaller um you know so it kind of ended up a case of you know you're the bigger the ball the closer to the firsts you were in so in basketball I was in the firsts but in football I was in the thirds and in cricket I didn't rate um so there you go um so um so uh uh, and golf. Don't talk to me about golf. Uh, all right. Uh, so, uh, let me think. Um, yeah, so I was watching the um, cricketers, um, and they were all around a single stump. And this is, this is all about how much of a... And I'm not talking to you, Charlie. I'm talking... T- I am imagining that I do have a listener. And... It is my contention that you really have an incredible brain. Like, absolutely amazing. Um, because with some training uh, and practice, I'm sure that, you know, if you uh, practice as much as these cricketers practice, um, you know, and this kind of goes against what I was saying before, that, you know, I was almost suggesting before that even if you practice, you'll never be as good as these kids. Yeah, because I, I, I never was. But that might not be true. You might actually be have more natural talent at um, handling small balls than I did. Yes, uh, I'll just let that through go through to the keeper. That one and um, and um, and these cricketers were grabbing their small balls and hurling them. You know, they were all in a sort of circle around this single stump. And they were just all hurling 
these cricket balls at that single stump. Um, and uh, because they've practiced so much, they they were hitting it very often. And I was thinking to myself, that's amazing. It's just a, think about how um, thin that stump is, you know, and how small that ball is. And uh, they're hitting it quite a lot, quite often. And I thought, that's a great supercomputer. Um, Harkening back to my chat earlier in this episode about all the things that you have to take into account to hit a stump like that. And how much control you have to have over the, um, the leverage system that is your skeleton. You know, and all the complicated muscles that are operating that leverage system. What a computer the human body is. It's not just the brain. You know, the brain uh, sort of is the kind of radar honing in on that stump. You know, doo-doo, 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 you know, like a, a movie. You know, the crosshairs. So the eyes. Um, You've got two eyes, which allows you to do some sort of um, crosshair sort of a situation going on um, with that stump. So like a radar, you hone in on that stump, and then you've got a ball miles away, you know, like a long way away from your eyes in your hand, and um, your eyes are zooming in and radaring in on that stump and sending electric, electric signals to all the different parts of your body, and I'm talking all the parts of your body, right down to your toes and across to your hands to get the entire skeleton um, turning into a very complex um, system of leverage. And then um, you wind back, you know, it's a much more complicated uh, piece of machinery than a trebuchet. A trebuchet, for example, back in ancient Roman times, um, Actually, I'm not sure if they were called trebuchets back then, back in ancient Rome. Um, Were they just um, flingy things, you know? Uh, Were they just glorified... uh, Were they glorified um, slingshots? You know, because trebuchet sounds French to me, you know? So maybe um, the uh, glorified slingshots that were used in medieval times. Maybe they were a bit more clever. I don't know. The Romans were pretty clever too. Uh, So, um, anyway, you're like this really complicated and amazing trebuchet. As you wind back, throw the ball through the air, um, exert forces on that cricket ball as you... Um, fling it, you know, from the time that you wind back till you let go of that cricket ball, you're exerting uh, an infinite number of um, force diagrams on that ball, you know, because every moment in time, you know, I'm I'm freely freely going to imagine that moments in time exist now, uh, you're exerting different amounts of force through the whole journey of that cricket ball as it sits in your hand until that moment in time when you release it, um, a highly complex array of forces because your hand is not going in a straight line even. You know, it's winding back and it's kind of in a... You're flinging it in almost an arc, you know. Um, Wow. You just couldn't draw all those force diagrams. There's an infinite number of them. Right. And... uh, But we tend to just, you know... 
you know, in physics, we, we say that's too hard. And we kind of say, listen, you're probably, let's just imagine you're flinging that ball in a straight line. But it's really good to know that um, I think that um, you're not. Yeah, and that you're just doing an approximation. Most of physics, as far as I know, is approximations because we just can't measure things as deadly accurate as we'd like to. So as you're flinging that um, cricket ball, um, the forces, the force diagram is variable um, throughout the entire journey of that cricket ball. As you throw it, you know, between the time when you wind back and then release the ball. You know, and then after it leaves your hand, it travels through the air and is um, subject to forces that are fluky then as well too, um, a fluky wind. You know, the wind is not going to be perfect. It may, for all intents and purposes, seem to be perfect, but deep down it's not that perfect. It's a little bit fluky. The wind is, you know... Um, are not consistent, feels consistent, because there's only about one second between when the ball leaves your hand and throws down the stumps. And in that whole second, which is an enormously long time, um, again, an infinite number of force diagrams. Good to know that there are an infinite number of force diagrams. Uh, We tend to simplify it because it's too hard for us. And we say, listen, let's just imagine that the... uh, force of gravity is consistent which it more or less is you know the earth's a bloody big ball compared to the cricket ball which is a bloody small ball yeah you know, just almost mind-blowing well to our tiny brains it is anyway you know to god he might say oh the earth's not that big you know in fact the universe is not that big it's kind of tiny you know but anyway look relatively speaking and uh an infinite number of force diagrams come into play uh, so that if it was a porcupine, this cricket ball flying towards the stumps, and you did have a, uh, some sort of instrument that could uh, detect all those forces, air resistance and um, the wind from right to left and all that, you know, especially that wind from right to left, you would, s- and, and also a little bit of wind up and down as well, I'm sure, you know, it wouldn't be deadly accurate. The wind is fluky, especially the wind, you know, and as a result of that, the ball is getting tossed around in the air. Look, to my eye, as I was watching those kids, um, the ball was travelling like arrow fast, you know, like, like a dart, bang, and, uh, you know, I would say that it was a dead straight line because they're throwing it quite hard and they're hitting the stumps. But, you know, in my mind, I have to allow for the fact that it wasn't a straight line. It was a curve because gravity was acting upon it. Even though it was over one second, not long for me, uh, there was fluky things happening. You know, it was getting thrown around in the wind like a ship gets thrown around on the ocean on a dark and stormy night. At a, at a nano level, you know. And, uh, and then the, the ball, we tend to, you know, uh, I, I know in football, we kind of give the football backspin. Well, not kind of, we do, you know, almost all the time as we hand pass and um, kick. We, make, we give the ball backspin to give it more accuracy uh, because, um, uh, because we're, th- that spin... Um, nullifies some of the 
uh, flukiness backwards. Oh, look, you know what I mean. Uh, that's gone beyond what I understand. I'm not here to be a great physicist. I'm here to chat. I'm here to put you and me in the top 80%. Go to another podcast to put yourself in the top 99%. Yeah, I just want to get to 80%. I'm happy with that. I'm, I'm relaxed about mediocrity. I'm comfortable in it. Because I, I know that I'm better than at least 80% of people on physics by just being willing. You know, even without genius, you can push yourself very close to the top and make yourself good enough you know, to earn some cash. And isn't that, in the end, the true measure of success? Well, yes. <laughs> it is when I'm trying to pay the mortgage anyway. Okay, time to wind down this episode. Uh, I'm sitting on the grass in the shade, Harley, while you wash my car. You're at a fantastic age where you want to. I reckon that's great. Uh, You know, the ones where you put a dollar or two dollars or six dollars, well, you'll end up putting twenty dollars in the wall and pink bubbles come out. You love that stuff. Um, All right, well, actually, I won't wind down the episode. I'll just finish it.